Anderson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Werthmold. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect yells. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 Coming up on this week's episode, we'll recap the Eagles' statement victory over Collingwood make sense of a poor start for the Beagles and break down everything you need to know ahead of Derby 49. But first, on the heels of a very successful reverse jinx of Collingwood, it must be said, I am joined this week by Mr. KK. How are you? I'm glad to be back and avoid the permaban. But had I missed, you could replace me with someone with higher EQ, so you probably missed the boat there. Excellent start. We're off to an absolutely ripping start this week. I'll let you EQ joke in the first, what, 30 seconds? Spot on. Not just Mr. KK joining us this week, we are also joined by our correspondent on the road. It's Keys. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, good to be back on. I might drop in and out a bit from time to time, but hopefully it's, uh, it all works out without too much drama. Keys out there hitting the pavement, trying to uncover all the gossip, any scoops ahead of the derby this week. It is obviously the talk of the town. But first, there's the little matter of the grand final rematch to get to, and we might as well dive straight into it. Guys, the Eagles looked... Pretty bloody good, it has to be said. You know, we were in complete control from midway through the second quarter. It's a fairly familiar sight now, the Eagles beating Collingwood. We've beaten them three times in our last six games. We've beaten them three times at the G in our last 13 games in total. Uh, KK, what, what about that to get the season back on track? Yeah, it was one of our favourite home and away wins for a while, I think. It was, it was a big game. I think we said last week it was probably a bigger game for Collingwood than us. Um, so... To get one over them again, that that's really got to augur well for if we are to meet them later in the season, and it's it's good to get a jump on them as well in terms of that race for the top four spot. Uh, I think our our equation, same as most seasons, is look after our home games and win half a dozen on the road if you can, and to get the scalp like Collingwood at the MCG in, in the manner we did was really pleasing. It was a a great game to watch. So, Keys, we were underdogs going in. Uh, now, coming out the other side with the win, we've now won our last six straight in Victoria. As I just mentioned, we've got a great record against Collingwood, who were once a bit of a bogey team for us. How, how confidence-building do you think this win is going to be for the club? Yeah, I think it just gets that one back from, from Brisbane. I think as much as we all expected Brisbane to challenge it and give us a, a, hard, a hard match, I don't think too many people expected us to actually lose the one in Brisbane. Uh, but the Collingwood game, I think, was the opposite. I think we probably, most people expected us to lose. So I think we dropped one we maybe shouldn't have, and then we picked up one that maybe we weren't going to. So I think it evens up. I think it means that I think after the the Brisbane match, where it was, you know, I sort of raised questions about where we were at and where we're going to be able to back up. I think it sort of puts to bed any sort of doubts that the guys are going to be up for it and can play play good footy still, um, and especially on the road. And I, and I think it, I think that that MCG 
you know, the Eagles can't play at the MCG. The hoodoo, if you like, is has been buried now. I don't, you know, it's not really going to come up anymore unless you're um, James Brayshaw. <laughs> and and you're surprised that we've been winning in Melbourne in recent times. Absolutely, <laughs> KK. Obviously, the result was fantastic. A really important part of the result, though, we had a fair few returning players. The first one, I suppose the headline-grabbing one, is is Andrew Gaff. So what did you see from him? He led the team with 35 touches, perhaps not the most polished day from him, but he slotted in almost like just an absolute dream. He hadn't he hadn't missed a minute, let alone eight months. No, he was, he was fantastic. Yeah, his disposal was a bit rusty, but that's to be expected, and he probably exceeded my expectations in the game. Um reading a few Collingwood fans take on the game that that they criticise a lot of their midfield for being one way runners and that if you don't run with Gaff then he'll just carve you up like he did. And uh, I think again we talk about it every week, it just comes back to the our structures and our professionalism and players knowing where to go. So you can have a guy like Gaff, he can be out for eight weeks spanning over two seasons, but he comes back and he just knows where to get to and his teammates know where to find him. And it was a really good hit out for him, and the touch will come with the disposals for sure. He looked a little bit shaky at times. He was kicking off the back foot a little bit, you know, a lot of snaps around the corner and that sort of thing. Uh, Keys, what did you see from Andrew Gaff in his first game back, and, and how did that compare to your expectations of, of what we'd get from him first up? Oh, I think he exceeded what I thought. I thought he, in the JLT games he played, looked a bit scratchy, mm. uh, but he really. As KK said, his disposal was maybe just a little, little bit off, which is to be expected. But he just, he just did what he always does, and that's he just runs, um, runs and just gets hold of the footy. I mean, I was listening. There's a, a podcast, a coast to coast podcast. It's got Daniel Kerr on it, and he was talking about Gaff on there, and he just said, from the time he first got to the club, his work rate is just phenomenal. Um, when you think that Kerr was only, he finished at what, 2013. Um, so Gaff was only like a young guy at the back end of Kerr's career. And, and even then Kerr was sort of marvelling at the guy's work rate. And he just doesn't, he just doesn't let up. So, you know, good on him. He's got that game under his belt and didn't really skip a beat, to be honest. The other returning player uh, of note, one of the premiership heroes as well, Jamie Cripps probably lost a little bit in the shuffle with the gaff return and the the overall build for the grand final rematch. But KK, he's finished up with four goals. Not only that, a lot of really important tackles, pressure acts, punching the ball on in the middle, getting his body on the line in the right spot. I'm going to put my cards on the table and say, look, I didn't expect that from him first up, absolutely. Not only was it a nice return for Jamie Cripps, that was almost his best game for the club, was it not? I can't think of too many better. put my cards on the table, there were times at the start of last season and probably the year before I was just about done with him. Um, always admired his, his work rate and his effort, but he just seemed to have too many bad decisions for a, a guy that plays a role in that forward half and needs to convert into goals. But he was amazing on the weekend. And his, his decision-making and his kind of nous around the goals has improved greatly. And, yeah, a return that far exceeded my expectations. And I think my thoughts about him were, were buried by the end of last season anyway. He's he's certainly in our best 22. Well, for all plenty of cards on the table. Yeah, I I think pre-game, I'd said I'd rather not play Cripps. I thought he'd be too rusty. And he has a track record of um, not coming back all that well 
first up from injury, and the play the way he did was um, outstanding. You know, he got to the right spots, and you know we looked a lot more dangerous with him in the side. Key's another one who had perhaps arguably the best game in a West Coast jumper. What about Lewis Jetter's game? He's he's maybe not got the accolades he deserves in terms of Gaff's game jumps off the page, Cripps's game jumps off the page, Sheed will get to in a minute. But Lewis Jetter did some really important things, but more to the point, some really classy and clean things in a game that was pretty high pressure at times. Yeah, I think Jetter's... I think I group Jetter and Hearn together in that I think they're two guys, the older they're getting, the better they are. They're, they're, they're playing... At the moment, they're kicking is, I don't know, what, what's, what's above elite. Um, the rule changes have really highlighted just how important, accurate long kicking is. Um, and we've got two of the best in the, in the league. Uh, um, and Jed just, yeah, he's playing some really good football this year. For a guy that I thought maybe might struggle to get up this year, um, he, he's playing, playing very, very well. I mean, that, the pickup that he did in the last quarter, I mean, that's just silk. I mean, I know there might be 20 players in the competition that can do that, if that many. I thought his highlight was the, um, he hit one pass from the wing out into the centre circle. He found Mastin in amongst three Pies players and, I don't think many players in the league would even take that kick on, let alone be able to execute it. And he does, he does bring that dynamic to the team that we, we don't have in any other player. Yeah, that kick really, I mean, it's the one where you see it and you see the way the camera shifts. You'd think, okay, this is going in the air and it's going into the centre circle. But that was never anybody else's ball. That was going straight. It, it, it was Marston, yeah, you're saying. That was going straight to him. There was no chance that anybody else was getting there. Uh, and it just opens up the whole the whole offensive move once you switch it into the middle. Um, Keys, you touched on Hearn as well. So Jeter and Hearn combined, they've kicked the ball 35 times, and I don't have numbers to back this up, but I would suggest if you're getting your elite users like that, 35 kicks, disregarding disposals total, but just getting 35 kicks from those guys, it's going to be tough to stop us rebounding out of the halfback, and it's really going to be tough to stop us going forward. Speaking of going forward, we had... The grand final hero, Dom Sheed, has been going from strength to strength, but he's really added that extra goal scoring now, so I guess he's really added another asset to his game. KK, he's finished up with three goals. Uh, he's he's scoring goals for fun at the minute, and he also really rolled up the Collingwood fans once again after a beautiful snap from the opposite pocket. So how did you see his game? Yeah, he seems to have it in for them at the moment, doesn't he? Um, he's He just seems to have a real good sense at the moment of, of when to push forward. And I guess a lot, maybe other clubs haven't sort of woken up to his, his talent and he's not getting the attention he, they need to put into it because he's, he's hurting them just by getting forward at the key moments and, and putting the pressure on the scoreboard. Keys, we'll, we'll go to you on this one and then KK will come back with the same question. Given his form since Gaff left the side, now we've seen him once up with Gaff in the side, what do you think the ceiling on Dom Sheed's season is? He's obviously in career form, but but how does that look in in the sense of the league? Uh, yes, kind of hard to see how. I mean, just how how the season will pan out, and, and we we sort of juggle that that midfield rotation because they're all fairly well locked in. But I think 
yeah, if she can, if he can average sort of 25 to 30 disposals a game and get one or two goals, I mean, that's, a, that's, uh, that's an excellent output, um, especially if you're going to get Gav getting 30 plus and, yeah, I'm sure we're getting their, you know, their numbers. And then you've got, you know, Redden sort of just quietly building up his stats as well in the background that no one sort of pays too much attention to him and he just sort of goes about his business. And I, we, we've got a very balanced midfield now, which I don't think we've, we've had for quite some time. I think across the league, he'll probably... It'll probably still take a while to, to catch up to him in terms of league-wide honours. I think within the club, um, he'd have to be high up in our, our BNF so far, and hopefully that, that continues. And I think looking at his spot in the team, um, he may have been sort of last man in at the end of last season, but he'd be a few notches above that, that now. And uh, we'll probably get to question about Rioli and that, where he fits into the team and... And pressure from outside, but I think his his spot's pretty well secured. And, and like he says, he does. We do have the balance of players that all offer something different. And Vashid, it's um, he's got that really good kick, and he's he's got that goal scoring. Now he can go forward. He knows where to take a mark. Knows how to finish from a set shot. And, and I think that's the element that's that's really making him stand out at the moment. From a player who's added something at one end of the field. We'll, we'll turn our attention now to the defensive side of the field. Look, Liam Duggan missed the game. Uh, there was a little bit of question, will he, won't he, in the build-up. And then at the last minute, it was revealed that, yes, Duggan is out. Now, initially, we'd all heard that Schofield was set to come in, but my understanding is he was a bit crook, so he couldn't play. And as a result of that, we've seen Josh Rotham debut. Uh, 21 years old. He was the 37th pick in 2016, so our second pick in that draft. He slotted in an absolute treat. And from... A regime that didn't want to go too far the other way a few years ago. We've now we've now had nine debutants since round one last season, uh, and then you can add in the Archies, Hickey, Smiths, these sorts of guys who are making their club debut. KK, we've had twelve new faces in since round one last year. The side's looking balanced. We've pretty much refreshed the whole personnel, you know, in in, in twelve months. How, how good was Rotham, and how good is that? That is fantastic. Even if we can just keep getting one or two games into these guys um, while keeping the rest of the team sort of intact. It's it's just going to add to our depth because injuries and suspensions and things will get thrown at you later in the year. And if if Rotham has to come in and play his next game in a final, but he's got that experience of debuting against Collingwood at the MCG in front of 60,000, then that's going to stand in really good stead. I, I don't uh, really follow the waffle. I thought... He was a guy that was probably never going to make an a, play an AFL, AFL game for us. But he didn't seem to be... There wasn't much noise around him in terms of club reports, waffle reports. Never even saw him in a pre-season game. I thought his career just might sort of figure out. But he, he showed some real, real skill on the weekend. And he might have had one of the best first touches of a debutant for a while. Oh, absolutely silk. You know, we were touching on Jetta before, but what about that? you got the mark and plays on straight away. Beautiful hit up out to the uh, to the back flank. Keys, you've obviously seen Rotham play in the waffle a little bit. Did you think he had such a composed debut in him? And and you know where do you see him slotting into the depth going forward? Yeah, I, I sort of been watching him. He's always been. You could always sort of see the player that he might become, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think he's always he's had pace and he, he's 
he's had the skill set and everything like that. But I think his first two years, he was always undersized for the role that he was playing at, at East Perth and tended to play on sort of bigger blokes and got pushed around a little bit. But, you know, pre-season this year, you could sort of tell he, he sort of built himself up. He looked bigger and stronger. Um, and he sort of got that confidence. And I think he, he just, you know, he got his chance. He, he, he earned it. Uh, oh, you know, he probably was a little bit lucky with Schofield full on sick. But, you know, he took the opportunity. And, you know, he I probably better than I thought he was going to, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, good on him. He's got he, He's been working. He's been working really hard to to get to that level, and he's reaped the rewards. KK, great result over Collingwood. As I mentioned, we've done it a few times against them now, so we've got that Victorian monkey off our back. So it would appear a win like that. As Keys mentioned, we dropped a silly one early, so maybe at the moment it's only about even two and one. But a win like that in general for the confidence and and for the back to back premiership push. What does a win like that do for your expectations on the season? Are you expecting more now that we've seen the mature way they put Collingwood away or about the same? What does it do for you? Yeah, the lead might be coming off, I think. Not just that result, but the, the GWS win, you look at how they played in their other two games. Um, admittedly, Essendon are pretty average and, and Richmond seem to be a train wreck at the moment. But they've had two really good wins and then they came over to Perth and we doubled their score. So you put those two results together, and I can't really think of an Eagles team that's just shown this amount of resilience consistently uh, for some time. And, um, yeah, I think any questions about whether the the desire is going to be there coming off the flag, I think they've been dispelled. And certainly the, the talent's there and the regeneration of the squad through guys like Petricelli and Allen you can still see this is improvement there. And, yeah, we're still the champs and someone's going to have to come and knock us off. And at the moment, it looks like we've got Collingwood's measure. So, yeah, onwards and upwards, I think we can definitely... Uh, it, it's raised my expectations. Is a short answer to your question. Keys, what about yourself? How have your expectations changed after round three? They're probably, probably about the same. Um, I, I think... You're sort of hopeful that we'd be right to challenge. You know, so far, uh, you know, as KK sort of said, you know, the, the premiership hangover doesn't seem to be there. We look like we've got sort of organic improvement in the list to sort of cap it off. So, you know, it's still only round three, so there's 19 rounds to go. And I think um, you only have to look back to last year and and our friends Richmond you know, I mean, as far as the premiership defence, if you if you said to us that we'd be 18 wins, two games clear at the top of the ladder, you'd be pretty Brian! happy with that. And then they got knocked out in the prelim. So, you know, it's still a long way to go. But I think the the signs are that we're going to, you know, when the, when the pointy end of the season comes, we're going to be right in amongst it, you would think, on so far, particularly with, a couple of the other contenders, well, potential contenders like Richmond and Melbourne, um, falling off a cliff so far this season. It's an interesting one because I always thought we had the ability to do it. We obviously showed last year we're a good side, but with the way that the league has 
proven to be somewhat unpredictable. And I know we did drop the game against Brisbane, but what's really stood out is we seem to be a, a constant, a steady. These last couple of weeks, it's been very reminiscent of that peak 2018 game style. So uh, I'm a little more confident after the after the Collingwood result. And I always thought we had those individual games in us, but I just think the uh, stringing consistent results, especially in Melbourne together, has been really, really beneficial for the club. Yeah, I think also, I think as like I said, something around three. I, I mean, I think you look at that, and there's still there's still plenty of improvement for us. You know, Kennedy's sort of had two sort of rusty games back. Darling hasn't, you know, quite hit his straps. You know, and I think you know Redden's still building. I think Yo's still building a little bit as well. So, and then you've got got a couple of sellers like Rioli and Nat Nui sitting in the stands at the moment that are. I mean, they're probably our two most creative players and the biggest X factors that we have on the list. They'll both make a big difference when they do return in hopefully the not-too-distant future. Well, speaking of the improvement, we've obviously built a, a nice solid amount of depth at an AFL level, but we'll turn our attention now to the waffle. Uh, the Beagles got their waffle season underway with their first ever official game for Premiership points, and it did disappoint, basically. It was a pretty arm-wrestle, back-and-forth sort of game with Perth in the early stages, but then Perth really started to, to flex against the Beagles and, and pull away in that late third quarter and then a blitz in the fourth quarter. So 9-9-63 were the Beagles, defeated by Perth, 16-13-109. Quite a blowout in the end. Keys. We've seen a bit of discussion this week, you know, as it applies to changes in terms of who put their hand up or not. For myself personally watching the game, I thought Waterman with his five goals was terrific and was the clear standout. Uh, McInnes, I think, started pretty well and then sort of faded into obscurity, but he's probably not going to make the side no matter the waffle form. That's just unfortunately the reality of where he's at at the minute. But was there anything else of note that you took away from the waffle and any players, I suppose, that people who didn't see it need to be aware of or any storylines we need to be watching down there? No, look, I don't think... I think the guys that you'd, you'd sort of want to have played well really didn't. Uh, the guys... You know, guys like Archie and Smith and Venables all had either poor to mediocre games. Um, so there wasn't... You know, guy, even like Nelson didn't play all that well. Uh, it was just a pretty lacklustre sort of game. Just why that was, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think they've got... Yeah, they've all got better games in them, but it was a pretty disappointing day out. And I think, yeah, it would have been if if Duggan's not right, it becomes a pretty interesting question as to whether Schofield, who was going to play uh, before he got sick, uh, comes in for for Rotham because I would have on on the strength of Schofield's performance, I wouldn't be bringing him in for Rotham if uh, you know if Duggan doesn't get up because I think. Skyfield looked rusty. Um, that might be a, you know, the lingering effects of of him being ill. But even he, uh, in a game where we had a lot of inexperienced players, I don't think Skyfield sort of stood up the way you'd, you'd hope from a guy who's a very experienced AFL player and probably should have shown a little bit more leadership than what he did, to, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, it was a really, really disappointing effort. Uh, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll put their better showing up on, at Optus Stadium on the weekend as a curtain raiser to the, um, to the proper derby. 
Yeah, so on that, you know, they, it's 2 p.m. If you go into the game, you can get there early and, and see the curtain raiser against Peel. Uh, it would be a, a good opportunity to bounce back for a few guys. There were some guys that you can see flashes from, but they didn't do anything to distinguish themselves or put their hands up. You know, Venables has that burst out of the pack and can, and can break through, but he simply isn't finding enough of it. Brander, towards the end of the game in the fourth, tried to lift with a nice passage through the middle, but he was fairly quiet. It was really a disappointing day if you want any sweeping changes to the side from a waffle perspective because nobody really uh, really put their hand up. But look, as Keys, you mentioned there, curtain raiser this week. Hopefully they can bounce back and get some better results, but also better individual performances in the side. Um, while we're talking about the Derby, and before we get onto the game proper, there's been a little bit of uh, crosstown rivalry early on in the week in that there's a bit of a poaching period going on in the AFLW. So the Eagles obviously set to field a side next season for the first time, 2020. Fremantle coming off a very strong campaign, uh, unfortunately for them, I suppose, have to relinquish some players. The Eagles have the ability to grab a few players. And KK, we've wound up with a very good one first off. Dana Hook has come across from Fremantle. She signed for two years, so she'll be 2020 and 2021. Uh, she's a 28-year-old midfielder, twice in the All-Australian squad. She's the runner-up in the AFL Best and Fairest in the last couple of seasons. So this is a real foundational piece for, for a team trying to get things underway. Now, being based in South Australia, you've obviously seen recently the ultimate success for, for AFLW and, and how big that grew. Massive grand final, 50,000 people there. Uh, so for the Eagles team trying to launch the brand for the first time to get a big piece like this, that seems like a great win straight off the bat, right? Absolutely, it's a it's a high time for AFLW at the moment, um, and the Eagles are probably it's, it's a good time to join. Like if the if the league sort of hadn't really captured imagination the way it had, then it might be tough trying to trying to launch into it. But it's it's really the right time. I haven't followed the AFLW too closely. It's kind of hard to get interested when the clubs are teams are aligned to AFL clubs and the Eagles didn't have a team. But I will follow a bit more closely. Now, I've been to a few games over here, um, the misses, and you, you can certainly see the, the standard improvement from one season to the next, and the, the impact it's having in grassroots. I think it's, it's growing the game in a really healthy, sustainable way, um, as opposed to some of the other AFL initiatives like uh, Twilight Grand Final and that seem to make money but don't actually do much. So um, I think AFLW, yeah, it's a good time to join. It's great to get one over the Dockers by poaching probably their best player. And uh, yeah, I'll probably follow a bit with a bit more interest. Yeah, and I think with the announcement as well uh, of Dana, we've we've seen a nice shot of the of the new jumper, which is looking great. And and you're right, it is a lot easier when you've got a, a rooting interest in terms of the Eagles. Like yourself, I've not followed the competition avidly certainly I wasn't watching Fremantle every week I'd just catch games here and there so I did have a little bit of a lurk on their board to see what the general vibe was uh, I found their AFLW thread from a few days ago before any of this was official and the uh, opening post contains the following sentence which I think is a pretty big tick of approval from my perspective so the Fremantle fan has written apparently they're going hard for Dana Hooker which personally would make me spew if they were able to lure her across so welcome to the Eagles Dana uh, Key's not the only bit of signing news we made this week, with young superstar Oscar Allen also extending until the end of 2022. What have you seen from him thus far in his very young career, and, and how good is it to have him on board? Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously, I mean, he'd already extended uh, to the end of 2020, 
last year. So I think it just to, to him to get another two years on top of that extension uh, just shows the faith the club have, have any, you know, based on what he's sort of shown this year. And I think he's he's slotted into the side really, really well. He's filled that was going a long way to fill in the void that the car left. I think I think there's the science with him. He's going to be once he grows into his body properly and you know, you know, it might take another couple of years yet, but he's gonna be he has a capacity to be a really dominant forward in the comp. Because he he's so competitive. He's a really competitive he hates he hates getting beaten and he hates making mistakes. Um and his football EQ is off the charts. Um, you know, I think we we touched on it before in that the the um, GWS game where, um, you know, he had that shot at goal. It got like a goal review. Whilst it was, you know, everyone was trying to pat him on the back, and he was like, no, 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 you know, quick set up for a set up your defensive structures because it might be a point. I mean. It was five feet over the line. He didn't need to. But, you know, he's obviously thinking about the game and he's, as much as he would have been pretty chuffed to kick his first goal, I think, at Optus Stadium, I think it was at the time, um, he still had the presence of mind to, to stay with what the game was doing and not get too carried away with his own little bit of success and do the team thing. So he's a super, super talent. Um and the fact that we've got him squared away now till 2022 is is uh, is great for the club. KK, he's only just turned 20. He's been 20 for about three weeks now. Uh, and he's, despite having only played five games, yeah, he's really shown what he can do, especially in the uh, contested marking world. Throws his body at everything, absolutely relentless. Uh, what have you liked out of Oscar Allen? And do you think that this is going to be a sort of face of the franchise guy going forward? Yeah, he's a special talent. I think the timing of the re-signing is probably as much to do with um, salary cap management than it is keeping him away from other clubs because I don't think there's any risk of him probably moving into state. Anyway, um, I think I've probably been most surprised about is how tall he plays. There's always that discussion about oh, how tall our players are, but I, I kind of thought he was a bit more, a bit undersized for a key forward, but he hasn't looked that way at all. And this is a guy that's only in his second season and has a lot of development strength in his body still to come. So he does have really long arms. I know you're a basketball fan. I'd like to see the ratio of arm span to height rings. I think it'd be pretty impressive. And he, he's a super, super talent. I loved the, the chase down of Darcy Moore in the game on Saturday. That was I was a bit reminiscent of, of Kennedy's defensive pressure, and you can really see the influence that Kennedy and Darling have had on, on Allen's play. And it's, it's amazing he's only played what, five games or whatever. He's going to be a superstar. So Oscar Allen, off the back of, yeah, as you mentioned there, five very, very strong games. He's now shaping up for his first derby, and... I'm pretty excited to see what he can do against the Fremantle back line. Look, before we, we before we launch into the derby, we'll just do some minor housekeeping with a few injuries. Hamish Brayshaw looks likely to play against Peel this week in the curtain raiser. He's been dealing with a couple of different things, calf, hip, that sort of thing. Liam Duggan, 
That'll be a big topic of conversation in just a moment when we get to the changes, but he should be right from his knee injury. Uh, and Willie Rioli, we'll, we'll talk about him at the end. We'll talk about who replaces him at the end. But Keys, major news out of the club last week just with his injury. Uh, it's a stress fracture in his foot. It's the sort of thing that, that does come from general wear and tear. The surface has been blamed uh, last year, I know, for a few injuries, so maybe that's cropping up again. But really disappointing to be losing him. He's going to have to start working his way back towards sort of a five- to six-week return as we look at it now. Oh, it's a real shame because he obviously had a, he had a ripping pre-season. Uh, got himself in a really good, really good shape. Um, so to lose him on, on the eve of the season was was really disappointing. Um, reality is, there's not much you can do about these things. Uh, you know, sometimes it's you know a ripping pre-season. You know, maybe you put a bit of load on his extra load on his body that he didn't quite handle. Um, hopefully, uh, you know we've got it early. I mean, we reported the soreness as as soon as he had it from from what was released by the club. So it wasn't something he sort of sat on for two or three weeks and allowed it to get worse. Um, so hopefully, you know, with a bit of rest, it, it sort of comes back. I did go to the training yesterday. Um, he made a very, very brief appearance out in the round, but really just stood around and had a bit of a chat and then disappeared. So I think they're getting him on the, the Alter G or whatever it is. In the next few days and get him back to ready to play. Um, and hopefully we don't see a repeat of it and he, he gets it settled down and, and he's good to go after that. All of that stuff's in the books. We've done the Collingwood game. The waffle's been and gone. We've had a look at all the injuries and the housekeeping, but now we're on to the main event. It is Derby 49 coming up this weekend. Saturday at 6.10 at Optus. As we mentioned, get down early, see the curtain raiser if you'd like, but it is the main show. It's the big one, and it really shapes the uh, the talk of the town this week. KK, we've seen a few things early on this week uh, in terms of a few discussions and interesting talking points in the media. This game is going to be shaped around the Andrew Gaff, Andrew Brayshaw coming together. So what, what's your view on, on how those guys have handled it in the past, and, and what are you expecting to see this week? I just really wish everyone had handled it as well as Andrew Brayshaw and to, to some extent Andrew Gaff have. It's, I think they both wanted to move on from it a long time ago and shake hands at the centre bounce. I'm glad it's our home game, so they won't, Gaff won't be booed too much for every single every single touch. I think both of them just want to get on and play the game. And I think after the first five minutes, it won't even... Anything anyone even thinks about. Keys, there's been a few, I suppose, invested media members who have tried to manipulate the chat into Will Eagles fans boo Andrew Brayshaw. Look, you can't speak for a full stadium full of 55-plus thousand people, and I'm sure there are the occasional idiot who will have a, have a pop at pretty much anything on Derby Day, but what would you what would you suggest is going to happen in terms of that match-up? And, and can you see Gaff getting cheered to start with, with every touch, and can you see Brayshaw getting booed at all throughout the contest? I can see Gaff being cheered quite uh, enthusiastically. I think the crowd will get behind him. Um, I've got no doubt about that. I can't see Brayshaw getting booed. I can't see anyone anyone would. If I was sitting next to someone who booed him, I'd give him a slap. I mean, the idea that Brayshaw should get booed is just ridiculous. Um, The kid did nothing wrong. He's been nothing but class since it happened. 
Um, and I, I'm pretty disappointed that people think that we that we would boo him. Um, it's really disappointing that narrative. Yeah, that just seems like a media-generated narrative that doesn't have any basis in reality. But as you say, you can't speak for a full stadium of 55,000 people. Uh, we live in an age where people still think it's okay to racially abuse players. So you, you, for sure there'll be some idiot who thinks it's a good idea to build him. But why would you? It's just crazy. Look, unfortunately, that is or it has become part of the narrative for the game. But really, if you move on from that, the main narrative of the game should should be this. The Eagles have won. We're currently riding a seven-game winning streak. We're looking to win the eighth straight derby. The all-time derby record is nine straight, which the Eagles started to, to launch the derby series. They won the first nine games in existence. After what seemed like a pretty tough run against Fremantle, as I mentioned, we're really riding a quite a hot streak, but they always do play up against the Eagles. Uh even last year in the Gaff-Brayshaw game, the results seemed to be a blowout. But when you go back and have a look at the margin, it actually wasn't you know, a comprehensive hiding. It wasn't certainly something that was season-defining by any stretch. So, KK, what are you expecting to see from Freo? They're sometimes accused of it being their grand final. Are you expecting a pretty hard-fought challenge from a side that finds themselves somewhat surprising 2-1? and one? Yeah, I think their record flatters them. I think they'll they'll come out firing because it is a derby and I mean we should do it anyway. But I I just think we'll weather that and we're we're classed above them at the moment. I mean, I'll look like an idiot if I if we end up losing this somehow, but I, th- I think we'll be able to take their best shots and just give it back to them with interest. And it's probably a good setup for the rest of the year because we're going to get teams' best shots. We are the, the premiers and teams will want to knock us off. But Collingwood wanted to knock us off on the weekend as well. And you say they kind of had the dominance early, but once we settled down and got into playing our game, just took all the sting out of their attacks. And I I expect the same to happen with Fremantle as well. I'm finding it hard to get a read on Frio at the minute because, well, they weren't exactly tipped for great things pre-season, which, take that for what it's worth, because neither were we last year. But round one, they came out, put a statement down against North Melbourne, although we've since found out that maybe North Melbourne aren't as flash as we thought they were, struggled mightily against the Gold Coast, who really let them off with bad kicking and then eventually did get over the top. And then last week, again, they struggled fairly comprehensively with St Kilda, but eked out a victory at home. Keys, are you expecting a big, fiery start from Fremantle? Do you think they'll come out looking to be physical, maybe any retaliation for the gaff stuff, or, or make a statement against the reigning premiers? I don't, I don't think... Uh, there'll be too much in the way of retaliation against Gaff. I think if Gaff's got the ball and there's an opportunity to um, to tackle him and put a bit of pressure, I think they might put an extra bit of barrier on it. But I don't know that. I don't think Fremantle will go out specifically to target him physically. I do think that, that early on though they will come out pretty hard. I think they'll want to, um, you know, give themselves a, a good showing. I think they'll build. Not not necessarily because it's a derby, but I think they'll build themselves up because we're we're the reigning premier, and I think they'll want to uh, show uh, that they've improved as a side. So, so I think it'll be it'll be hard early, and I think it's just a matter of our guys sort of weathering that early storm the way we have in the last couple of weeks, and then I think as KK said, once once the game settles down, I think our Class across the field should should tell out, and I think one thing that that I've learnt from the last year and a half or so of watching the Eagles is 
you know, they stay in games usually. Um, they don't they don't sort of fold up their tents and go home. They they sort of stay in there and they've got a bit of resolve about them. Uh, so even if Fremantle get off to a good start, I think we've got the the experience and the and the players to, to get us back into the t- game and get us over the top. I mean, Freo, I mean, they've played, you know, two of the sides they've played so far finished in the bottom four last year. Um, and in the game against North, was sort of a bit of an anomaly on, on a number of respects. So uh, their form hasn't, hasn't really been great. Their game style's sort of struggling, apart from the North Melbourne game where, I don't think North put anywhere near the sort of pressure on them that that we're capable of. Uh, so I, you know, you're always a bit scared tipping us in a derby, but I think we should be able to um, should be able to win. Certainly a somewhat of a boost to the Eagles, and it comes from unfortunate circumstances. But Nat Fife was concussed in a pretty shocking incident on the weekend against St Kilda. It was just a clash of heads uh, that he came off certainly much worse from. Freo got a free kick out of it, even though there's a conspiracy against them, but that's fine. Uh, KK, with no Nat Fife, we've seen Yo and Fife go head-to-head. We've also seen Hutchings have success as a tagger throughout throughout the years. With no Nat Fife, what are you expecting from Hutchings in terms of his role? Uh, does he tag? Does he have a role in the side if there's not somebody for him to tag? Yeah, I think... I don't know if he does have a role if he's not been there to, to at least uh, be a defensive-minded midfielder, maybe not a hard tag. Uh, just just going through down Frio's list, um, he, he might end up going to Mundy. Mundy, even though he's getting on, has tends to play very well in in derbies and has has given us problems down the line. And I think um, I think he just seems more natural match up than their other major ball winners. Uh, I wouldn't put him on someone like Hill or Walters. It's going to do him for pace. I think, I think Mundy's probably a good matchup for him. Um, having said that, I didn't say he doesn't have a role if he's not a tag. I don't see any chance of him being dropped because I think he's a, a key part of our of our midfield mix, and and we'll, we'll move him around to where we think he can he can do the best job. But he can definitely be in the team. Yeah, the, it's an interesting one. The Walters or Hill matchup. Hill's been very good for them as well, and Walters probably their best player outside of Fife, uh, but obviously spends a bit of time up forward as well. Keys, the midfield matchup now with no Nat Fife, what are you expecting from the Eagles there? Is that the sort of place where we can look to win the game, or is it we just have to halve the midfield? What are you what are you thinking from that matchup? I think with um, certainly with Fife out, I think, um, and then you know even Stephen Hill out and things like that. I mean they're pretty light on, they're a bit light on for experience through the midfield now. Um, I'll be interested to see what they do with with Hogan, whether they put their uh, elite goal-kicking recruit into the centre square, which is a typical Fremantle thing to do. Yeah, is he, though? Because he's uh, yet to register a score this season, and I appreciate he didn't play in the blowout, but if you can't score against the Suns and the Saints, that's, I don't know, banding the word at elite around. It's, uh, it's... Yeah, well, I'm well, sort of using that semi-sarcastically in terms of, I mean, they recruited, the, they recruited the key forward and then play him up the ground, which, you know, but anyway, that's... I think we've got, for the first time, again, it's one of those things with our midfield, the way it's grown. It's It's been a while since I remember a derby where you look at the midfield and say, so we've got a clear edge. 
Um, a lot of that's got to do with Fife um, being absent, but we've got a clear region experience and uh, depth through the midfield, I think. So we should be able to exploit that. I don't think with Sanderland's not playing in the ruck, um, I don't think there's any, I don't think either side could go into the game thinking they've got a clear advantage in the ruck at any, at any stage either. Um, and I think our guys, because the mids have been playing together for a while, probably got a bit better chemistry than their female counterparts. So it'll be interesting to see how we go. It's interesting. Hutchings, you know, it doesn't have a clear, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them maybe use Hutchings as a, as a defensive half forward and maybe lock down on someone like uh, Wilson, who can at times provide a bit of run from off the off half back. So maybe we'll, we'll and Hutchings is quite good at sneaking forward and kicking a goal. So maybe we'll pull him out of the midfield rotations and let our other guys go to work head to head. And then uh, Hutchings will look at um, trying to stifle Fremantle from half back. Thanks to Bombard and TY24 for asking us about the Hutchings matchup. Uh, now that we know that Fife is no longer going to play, KK Keys did just mention the new forward in Jesse Hogan. They've also revamped with Lob coming in. Uh, I love making fun of him, but Tabin has actually been playing quite well, having watched Frio this year all three times. So they've got a couple of interesting options. They've certainly got some tall options. If they were to bring Darcy back in, they might have Lob closer to goal, sort of on a more permanent basis. Our backline is probably the strongest line in our team, or if, if, if it isn't, well, it's certainly one of the strongest in the league, which speaks to where we're at as a club. What are you thinking from the Fremantle forward versus West Coast backline matchup? Do, is there anyone specifically you think will, will go to anyone else particularly, or we'll just play our game and, and try and make it work without bearing too much mind to the individual personnel that Fremantle have? I haven't paid too much attention to... I haven't seen much of Freer this year, so I, I don't know how how they're really structuring their forward line, but just going down the names, I'm not seeing anything that should really worry us, um, given how strong our defensive structures are. So I think we'll just try and play our game. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up their guys based probably on who we want to have for our side closest to goal and what we can do to free um, to free McGovern to intercept and Hearn to do the same. And then we'll look at, likes of Cole or Shepard to play the shutdown role on their, their more dangerous small forwards. Uh, I'm kind of sounding like the typical arrogant Eagles fan, but I don't see a lot through their whole team that we should be worried about. It's been interesting with their forwards. They have stretched teams a little this year, and, and McCarthy, for uh, for all the pressure that was on in preseason, has certainly responded with a couple of nice weeks. Keys, we might start the ins and outs with you, uh, and I think... Most of the discussion is going to centre around the back line with Duggan potentially coming in. Rotham's obviously perhaps backing up for his second game of footy. So what are the changes that you're expecting when the teams are listed tomorrow? The change I'm expecting to see is Duggan in for, for Rotham. I think that's the... I don't think any, I don't think there'll be any other changes unless there's a, a mystery injury that we, we don't know about. Um, and then I think we touched on it earlier. If, uh, if Duggan doesn't get up, which I'd be surprised because he trained pretty well yesterday and didn't show any signs of discomfort or anything like that. So um, if he doesn't get up in the unlikely event, then it becomes a question of do we bring Schofield in for for Rotham? Um, 
you know, I, I think either one. I'd like us to retain Rotherham if Duggan is, isn't fit, but I don't know. I, I'm fully expecting Duggan will come in, and I don't think there'll be any other changes as much as, um, you know, certain people have got a couple of players in their sights, but uh, that might come later, but it's not going to come this week. Yeah, I can see Duggan for Rotham as well. If it weren't that change, I would be more than happy with an unchanged lineup. I don't think there's too much need to shuffle around a, a winning team or certainly a team that's starting to string two really solid weeks of footy together. KK, changes for you and also a tip from you and who is going to be the best eagle? Oh, I agree with you. What you guys said on the changes, I think knowing our club, if someone hasn't been confirmed by Tuesday, then we're not playing. Um, though I didn't have the benefit of watching him train, so I'm kind of expecting Duggan to be... Uh, Late. Oh no, sorry, he's not fit. And if that's the case, I wouldn't see a reason to, to change the team. For tips, I I'm going big. I think we're going to belt the pants off this week. Oh, hang on, hang um, on, hang on a minute. You, we've yeah. we we worked out the track record last week, right? <laughs> With the jinx. Jesus Christ. Just all right. Yeah, but I'm kind of thinking. If if I go big, I can be wrong and we can still win. Maybe we'll just fall over the line. That's fine. You do, your tips. you do your tips. I'm jumping on sports bet and finding odds. That's fine. Off you go. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll go for uh, 65 points. I think we're going to do a number on this week. And I think Darling's primed to have, have a breakout. He's, he wasn't great last week, but the delivery into him was pretty poor at times as well. And I, I think he's primed for a big one. Keys? Um. I'm really reluctant to tip us because the only game I tipped us this year so far was the Brisbane game. Um, I tipped against us in the other two. So at the moment, I'm 0 from 3 tipping us right. So I'm I'm thinking that, you know, we really should win it. Uh, but for sake of consistency, I'm going to tip Fremantle by 12 points just to um, not jinx it. Um, as far as our best player... I'm going to go, I reckon Piccicelli is going to have an absolute breakout game and he will tear the Dockers' defence a new one and uh, go 4-20. and I would love to see that. He obviously played very well at the G and, and could have polished it off with a few more goals. That would be a great great first derby up for Petch. Uh, for myself, I have been optimistic and tipped us every week, so I will continue that trend. Uh, I think we'll belt them in the game, but as I say, the margin in the derby doesn't necessarily always reflect that. So I will pick the Eagles by sort of 38, high 30s, something like that. Look, if we did get a hold of them, it maybe wouldn't surprise me, but better to be safe than sorry. So I'll go with about 38. And the best Eagle of field is going to win the Glendening Oscar Allen medal. He is going to kick four. They're going to be putting too much work into Kennedy, too much work into Darling. Allen is going to absolutely tear Fremantle apart. And he's sort of the talk of the town, flavour of the month sort of media presence at the minute, so I can see a few eyeballs on him early and a couple of votes for Alan. That's the Derby. Best of luck for the Eagles this week. Would be a massive one if we could get the eighth straight Derby and and really uh, three and one would be a great start to the year. But let's move on to a couple of quick questions. We touched on Rioli earlier, KK. I'll start with you with this one. Forgive me the pronunciation, L. Arare, I believe, but who's to say? Anyway, it was asked... He's on Bender. Yeah, well, okay, well, good stuff, Bender. Um, 
Who realistically goes out for Rioli and why, KK? I saw this question earlier in the week and I really haven't come up with an answer. Um, I'm wondering if it might even be so different and like Vardy comes out for Rioli and we we go away from the two rucks. I don't I don't think Vardy's really um, been that great this season. And with Allen playing as such a tall in the forward line, I don't know if we need Vardy's presence down in the forward line as, as a forward. I always kind of thought of him as forward first, ruck second. Um, I'm not sure we, we do go away from that, and it's it's him that comes out. Guys to think of a small in either the, the midfield or the forward line that could come out for Rioli. Other options maybe. Um, whipping boy Marston comes out now. Now gaps back, and if we can get sort of Petricelli with that that pace and that run down the wing, <clears throat> then then maybe Marston might be squeezed out. But I'd, I'd like, kind of like to see Rioli and Favardi and go a bit smaller and see see how that goes. We've seen that Allen can take some take some stints in the ruck or maybe the forward line boundary throw-ins and maybe harass or something down the back so he could ease the workload on Hickey who was the, the sole ruckman. Keith, same question to you. When the time does come, who makes way for Rioli? Yeah, KK makes a pretty pretty solid, pretty good case. Um, I, my view has been that we've, we've got a pretty well-set structure with our mids and forwards and talls and, and things like that. And I think uh, when Real is right, uh, assuming no other injuries, I think it's Maston that gets squeezed out. I think he's... Um, I know it's a it's a bit of a raising debate. and I've been accused of being a um, Maston fanboy, which to an extent I am. Uh, but I, it's more a matter of I think he gets... A lot of unwarranted criticism. I think he's better than a lot of people give him credit for. But when you look at the side, I think the the, the reality is he's our he's our least productive midfielder. So if you've got to squeeze a mid out when Rioli comes back, well, I think it's hard to make a case for Maston over uh, any other guys. So yeah, I, I think it's. As much as there's a particular poster I don't want to see proven right, that's that's the way I see it happening. Although the argument of just sucking it up and seeing how we go with um, one ruck is is interesting. But I think when Rioli comes back, he's not going to be back in the side much earlier than what that he is. So I don't know that we um, will move away from the two ruckers because when now the new comes back in, we're definitely going to be playing two rucks. Um, so I don't know if we'd, uh, we'd move away from that structure so soon to that we might be making a good problem to have. Yeah, massively so. Uh, the depth, as we touched on a few times now, is in the best spot it's been for a while. Just while we're on the Rioli one, I will say, look, it is so far away, it's so unpredictable. If he were back this week, it's a discussion to be had, but he's not back for well over a month, so I think it's pretty hard to pinpoint. Now, look, hypothetically, if he were back next week, it's between, in my mind, Marston or Petrocelli, and it'd be a pretty foolish man to be dropping Petrocelli at the moment based on how he's been playing. So I know we like that 7-8-7, I think, is the split in terms of backs, mids, and forwards. If you drop Marston, bring Rioli in, and you sort of do a 
seven and a half, seven and a half, with Rioli and Petch both spending some time up the ground. I could get behind that. Uh, I will say, you don't get to come out and claim you're right when you post the same thing 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34 weeks in a row until Rioli is back. If I say drop Kennedy every week from now until the end of 2022, I don't get to gloat. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, uh, KK, you mentioned Vardy there, and that brings us perfectly onto the next one. It's a question from Bucket, who asks, who is currently in the box seat to pair with Natanui, and what does each ruckman need to do to ensure that they retain that second ruck spot when Nick Nat is eventually back? Yeah, I think as I touched on, I, I've always seen Vardy as more of a forward rack than the other way around. So I think he's in the box seat, but I really think he needs to um, get back to his form from last year, particularly forwards. He's been all right in the ruck, and him and Hickey did a pretty good job on Grundy on the weekend. The, the stats will tell you otherwise, but I didn't think Grundy really had that much influence around the ground. So... So Vardy's in line, but I'd like to see more of his the, the forward output from last year. Uh, Keys, which of the two rucks has impressed you most thus far, and, and who pairs best with Nick Nat? I think I think at the moment Hickey's playing a better footy. Um, I think quite clearly. I think aside from the first game, which was a um, dumpster fire, he's been his last two weeks. I think have been really good. Um, so on form at the moment. It's a hickey. I think I, I agree with KK. I think Barty's probably a uh, a better foil for Natanui than what hickey is. But at the same time, I think uh, Lysett and Natanui combined very well last year um, through that first half of the season as well. So I can see I, I can see uh, hickey and Natanui working quite well, and Natanui maybe spending a little bit more time up forward to create havoc down there. Rather than um, rather than and, and Hickey rocking mainly rather than the other way around, but I, I think it becomes form dependent. And if if the current form line that the two guys holds, then I think Hickey holds his spot. Yep, pretty spot on. I think it's too early to call just given how far off Nick Nat is. But uh, yeah, Hickey certainly had a better round two and three than Vardy has. We'll wait and see. We'll reassess around that week ten, eleven, or whatever whatever spot Nick Nat's set to come back. Uh, I do think there's a case for, for pairing Nick Nat and Vardy before you try the Nick Nat and Hickey pairing. But, uh, yeah, it's all form dependent, too far away to speculate. Anyway, aside from that one, that's all of our questions for the week. And, indeed, that is all of our episode for the week. I think we're done. It's run a little bit long this week, but it's a derby week, so you have to forgive us for that. Keys, you've been out. You've been hitting the track, getting all the rumours for us. You broke that Fife news for us just on the road. So thanks for your hard work, and thanks for coming back on the pod. Yeah, no dramas. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, it's good and bad. It was a quiet night. So it meant I wasn't in and out too much. But, uh, yeah, no, it was good. Very good. KK, the permaban is not hanging over you. The axe isn't hanging over you. But the reverse jinx worked last week. You've tipped the Eagles this week. Best of luck for you. And I hope we can have you back on next week. Yeah, I'd glad to be back. I kind of feel like Marston. I've got the axe permanently hanging over me. Just a matter of time. Yeah, pretty, pretty depressing. But... Uh, it is what it is at this point. All the best. As long as the Eagles keep winning, you can keep coming back. Uh, and indeed, we all hope that you will all be back listening to us next week. Thanks for your support. Uh, if you've got any questions for us, chuck us in the thread. And go the Eagles in round four. Let's hope they beat the living crap out of Fremantle. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye.